I think it's like 7 p.m. in London. It's 1 p.m. on the East Coast. Guy Adami, Dan Nathan, it's Thursday. That means EY from SoFi will be joining Butters today. Oh, my goodness. Update of a Disney trade. Well done by you. Rangers play tonight. Uh, how you doing, Dan? I'm doing great. We missed you yesterday. It was just Carter and myself. Yesterday. So yesterday I had to go to the train state. Not that anybody cares. Trains, planes, and automobiles is Newark, really what you New did. Jersey. And it's yeah. an inter- I hadn't been in a while. It's an interesting place. And I met a lovely guy, Malik Phillips. Oh, nice. Yeah. Fan of the show? He's familiar with CNBC's Fast Money. You know what's so that. crazy? So I was at the Ranger game the other night. A guy comes up to me and he says, hey, man, I, I love your podcast. I, no, no shit. Okay. I love your podcast. And I said, that's great. I was like, do you, uh, do you watch the show? Do you watch? I said, what show? He said, he said, no, that's, 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 that's a bit of a sea change. That's like the world's crossing over. I've had that that happen to me a couple of times. And and again, I think it speaks to just the way people are consuming content in general, to be very serious. You know what I mean? Like some people just want stuff that is in a format that's digestible and right to their ear. And they get it or they get it in their favorite podcast store. So let's, Take a look at the rundown so you yeah. know what we're talking about. As I mentioned, we're going to be talking about the Disney trade update, Butters and his earnings inside preview. But the really, we're going to start with this head fake rally. Now, people on Twitter are like, you just can't accept it, guy. Cannot, guy. You can't accept it. The market is kicking your ass. And you know what? Certainly seems to be. The last couple, week and a half or so with that bond move that we've talked about, the subsequent move in the S&P, you know, we're still in this downtrend, I think, in the S&P. Ish, ish, ish. But that's what we're going to talk about. And let's start by, you know, I think it was Ellen Bostic or Ellen. Uh, what's her what's her name? The actress Barkin. Ellen Barkin. Yeah. Yeah. She was making fan? comments. Were you a fan back in the day. She was in a movie with Al Pacino. Yeah. She's been a bunch of different movies. She was married to Ron Perlman. She was. For a period of time, I think Gabriel Byrne. But all these Fed heads are out there making comments. Bostic, full impact of rate hikes yet to be felt or yet to come. I agree with that. And we've said it now for quite some time. I'm surprised um, that it's not here yet, but doesn't mean it's, and Elizabeth talks about this. It doesn't mean it's not going to happen. As a matter of fact, one can say the longer it doesn't happen, maybe the worse it becomes. I I don't think it's just sort of easing into this thing. I think we're going to see it all of a sudden, like it's going to be very precipitous when it does hit, or it's just starting to happen. And the jobs data that we saw, the revisions no that we started to have, maybe maybe the jobs market wasn't as strong. And, and listen, you know, like like that actually with you know we've had David Rosenberg, he was on um, the pod on, on the tape uh, on Friday, mm-hmm. you know, and David, you know, interestingly has been saying that the Fed has been way too aggressive for too long. He hasn't seen the economy as strong as many think, right? As many have thought that the the unemployment rate or the non-farm payrolls have been suggesting that GDP numbers seem like a big fugazi. Um, So I think we're going to look back and say, wait, the month that the Fed went back and, and, and revised lower, all of those non-farm payrolls. The month that we just got to our Eight highest months, by the way, highest unemployment rate in a very long time, right? The month that we're seeing ISM slow down, you know, for a, another consecutive quarter. Maybe, maybe that month was the month yeah. where everything kind of caught up to itself. You know, he, what I mean? and so, he might be spot on. I also think, and again, it's hard to predict these things, but I think one of the Fed's biggest fears were not basically doing the same, you know, replicating the same mistakes of the early 1970s when they declared victory over inflation only to have it come raging back uh, a year, well, less than a year or so later, right in their face and yeah. in a more fierce way. So I think they're really, we, we use the analogy of when you blow out the candles and those fun candles that keep lighting up, 
And I think that's what inflation is. Just when you think you've blown it out and it's done, it comes back again. And I think one of their concerns is, again, not replicating the same mistakes were made 50 or so years ago. So we'll see. I mean, but that's why so, we talk so about this So let me ask you stuff. this. So um, we had the 10-year below four and a half Amazing. yesterday. Um, Ken Griffin, Citadel founder, making comments about just structurally higher interest rates, higher inflation, you know, that sort of thing. And then if you look at these two, the Fed comments that we're talking about, you know, it kind of speaks to that. Is that why we've seen a, a 16, 17 basis point reversal on a four and a half number on a four and a half 10 year yield. And so I guess my question is that sooner or later, if we're going to start or continue to see the volatility bands continue to widen, right? Okay. So then, well, if we're going to see that in yields, doesn't that have to actually be the case in stocks? And you know, we have somebody who's a bit smarter than us. No, most who's people actually been writing about it. She's got a blog. It drops every every Thursday on the Wisco. SoFi. She's yeah. from Whiskey. She is from well, we call it Wisco. Um, oh, that would be EY from SoFi. There smile. she is. You know, I'd like to be one third as happy as Elizabeth is yeah. every day. Just one day. Yeah, I'm <laughs> a miserable son. People tell me that all the time. You're a miserable son. You're of not bitch. though. You're not. Though. You know what? I think. Not that we won't need to talk about it on this podcast, because nope. Danny and I had this conversation. But I think when you're in touch with the human condition, yeah, it's it's exhausting. Yeah, well, it's Liz, miserable. <laughs> with the human condition of joy, <laughs> like she is. Look at that. No, like, look, she's, she's always I know. happy. Yeah, always happy. Yeah. Well, How you doing? Well, one of my favorite quotes: "Laughter is the shortest distance between two people." So I try to laugh a lot. Wow. I also I've won funniest laugh in high school. You you, know, those, is that right? Whatever those are called. Those, you know, like most likely to succeed, most likely, whatever. Funniest laugh. I got, you, were I got funniest laugh. Voted, you were probably voted, if I had a guess, and this is just a guess, most athletic, too. No. No? No. Oh, I, I participated in athletics. Yeah. Uh, I, I captained a couple teams. So you got but that does not mean that I was necessarily the most athletic. Well, you know, Ask my dad. Eve Arden said in Greece, Dan knows this. Elizabeth, you probably appeared in the the playing of Greece in your high school. If you can't be an athlete, be an athletic supporter, which is one of the great lines <laughs> in movie <laughs> history. Anyway, we're All right. So, so, so Doug Cass pointing out weak auction, and that's why we've seen this, Shocking. this kind of bump in yields here. Liz, break this down for us. You heard what we just said. If we're going to start to see <clears throat> this sort of volatility in yields, again, pick back up. Um, are we likely to see that in the equity market? I think that's actually the crux of a lot of what you're writing about today in your blog. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I don't think we ever stopped seeing volatility in yields. Yeah. And the way that you look at these yield charts moving, it's wild. And it's yeah. not something that any of us have been used to, certainly not in my career. Uh, anybody who's been investing longer than me maybe doesn't remember it since 40 years ago. I mean, this is not natural. And when you look at it from the lens of the biggest bond market in the world, the one that is supposed to be steady eddy, completely liquid, never really surprise us. It's been surprising us a lot. Now, one of the things that I think about pretty often is no matter if I agree with the market direction or not, or if it's moving the way that I thought it would, it needs to at least make rational sense and the relationships need to make rational sense. And we're in a place right now, and we have been, I would argue, since the end of July, where yields and stock prices are moving in opposite directions, which makes rational sense. So as yields rise, stock prices should fall and vice versa. And we've seen over the last few weeks, we've seen yeah. obviously this precipitous drop in yields and a very fierce rally on the other side of that. And the other thing is when you look at just the behavior of the rally, I think what's happening and what happened last week versus what's happening this week is that we had pretty big surges in breath. That's breath with a D 
I, I can't pronounce it any other way than to say breath. So I got to <laughs> point out that there's a D in it somewhere. The D is silent, evidently. Mm -hmm. There was a pretty big surge in breath last week, which gave the Bulls something to hang on to. They got excited and said, oh, look, everything is participating. It's not just concentrated positions that are leading this. And then that turned around this week. So I think it was Monday and Tuesday. Breath actually turned negative. And now we've got this concentrated leadership again. The other thing, and it pains me every time I say this, small caps just cannot get off the floor. They continue in a downtrend. They can't find upside even when the rest of the market is rallying and that's sending a signal. However, because I don't want to be dogmatic, this is a period, and I put this in the note too, if you want to pull up that table, there's a lot on the table, but I'll summarize yeah. it for you. This is a period where if July was the last hike, we're in this purgatory period between the last hike and the first cut where markets actually tend to hold up pretty well. So it's that third column, last hike to first cut return. Mm -hmm. Yes, there are some negatives in there, but they're only single digit negatives. And there are a handful of double digit positive returns in there. So we're in that period right now, if July was the last hike. And I just wanna point that out to say, the market might be okay throughout this period, but I stand by the thought that the Fed will have to cut sooner than the market thinks. That's a fascinating, I look at that and I try to go back in time and say, cause we were just talking about the early seventies. So that period in May of 74 <laughs> until the summer of 74, it actually makes sense. You know, I can go back and probably explain away the, what we saw in December of 2018 into the summer of 2019. I mean, we talk about that period of time from Halloween into Christmas all the time. So a lot of these make sense. This is its own animal now because outside of the early 70s, the inflation problem hasn't really yeah. gone away. And I think that's sort of one of the factors that, you know, I understand the numbers speak for themselves, but that's a wild card here in terms of the returns from now until that period where they cut. So it, it's, well, it's a fascinating conversation. Yeah. And the other thing that's interesting is that there's been this conversation recently about, okay, you know, hikes are done. We're celebrating it. I think the market is celebrating prematurely that restriction is done. That's not necessarily the case. Maybe the hikes are done, but the restriction is certainly still here. If you go back and assume that July was the last hike, the market is actually down since then. So it, it that doesn't necessarily fall into that category very cleanly. If you look at when the market stopped pricing in additional hikes, which was about mid-October, sometime from the 17th to 19th of October, the market is up from that point. So you can, this is all cherry picking, right? You can choose mm -hmm. your, your begin date, you can choose your end date, and you're probably going to find the data that proves it. That's what makes these periods so difficult for investors because it could literally go either way. And there's not a whole lot of messaging in these purgatory times. It's almost like you just got to survive it and wait to find out what's on the other side. Yeah, the problem though, going back to the concentration in the market, there's not other places. I mean, other than being invested in the major indices, if you just look under the hood and we go, you know, we've gone through this again and again and again, you know, um, there's not too many places to survive it. There's not too many, mm -hmm. like cyclical sectors are trading really badly. Defensive sectors are trading really badly. Look at the XBI today, right? So like, like the list goes on and on. And so like, that's a fine table. 
Okay. But the only thing, and I want to throw out all those other periods because the guy had just mentioned about inflation. Okay. This is what's different. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, you know, like we had a guy on our show without naming any names. I was screaming about how rates are definitely going lower. You know what I mean? It was like, uh, you know, like, okay, like, what do you know that I don't know? Like, I have no idea. Ken Griffin says they're going higher, you know, like, um, you know, uh, Paul Tudor Jones a month ago said, we're going to be in a recession. Where do you think rates are going to be there? Maybe they don't go down that much, but maybe they don't go up that much. Maybe we just have stagflation. What's that good for? You tell me, right? So the only thing that I guess that I'd say that I think really matters is like the period in which we stop raising rates in May of 2000. The Fed stopped raising rates in uh, 2006. I think it was also May. You can do the distance between that that last rate hike, right, to the first rate cut. But all I know is when they started lowering rates, they went to 1% in 2000, okay, in 2001, and they went to zero in 2008. And I know that the stock market gotten cut in half both times, okay? And I also know that in 2018, when they were raising rates and they got to two and a quarter or something like that, and then they stopped, you know, they had that 20% drawdown. So that that's all yeah. I know. And I think those are the only relevant periods because those are the periods in which, you know, to Guy's point about monetary policy and all the stimulus that has existed, that's when things got haywire about 23 years ago. It would be, I'd be interested. Yeah. I, maybe I'll do this because I- You should do it. I torture myself. Yeah. It's like that guy in uh, Da Vinci Code. Remember when he, yeah, yeah, with the, with the, you know, self flagellation. Yeah. Well, that, you know, that book starts out like the very start of that book, if I remember correctly, about one of these crazy priests um, who was like a killer priest or sure. something who was using that thing, you know, around the leg yeah, that, well, that yeah. causes the play. Like, that's how the, the, the book starts just kind of showing the the depravity of like one of the main characters and it's exactly what you're talking I'm about a big so you're gonna start to wear one of those things what do they call those things as often as possible painful <laughs> that's what they call it <laughs> you know, what i was gonna say was I, i'll go back i'll take liz's i'll take that chart and go back and actually try to look and see if i can read about some of the rhetoric that was going on at the time yeah. just to sort of figure out like what precipitated some of those cuts and then some of those subsequent moves because it is a it is a healthy exercise. Again, each one of these is different, but there's similarities yeah. between them all. All right, so. well, let, let's pull this up. So Goldman Sachs, their economists are out. This, I think, was from the Daily Shot, and they're yeah, talking about the, the potential for the U.S. to be in a recession. I mean, like, again, like, you know, one of the reasons why, you know, my point is that we have a, a you know, a Fed um, balance sheet at north of $8 trillion. You know, last time it was $4 trillion, you know, during the final. You know, like, so my point is, like, there's a lot of – sooner or later, I mean, something's got to give here, people. And so I don't know, man. Like, you know, but it's real quick. And Elizabeth has comments, but it's we talk about recessions. Are we in one out? And, and I said this a, a year or so ago on the show. We had one of those glib economists on. And my pushback to him was, does it even matter? I mean, if you think yeah. about the food insecurity in this country, like one in six people or something, one in five people live paycheck. To, I mean, the numbers are staggering. The numbers that we talk about are 19 late 20s, early 1930s stuff for a large swath of this population. So to talk about recession is almost yeah. insulting for a lot of people. So whether we're in one going in, I, I don't necessarily know 
if it's statistically it matters when we're dealing with what we're dealing well, with right yeah, now. Yeah, so let's uh, like opine on that because again, we won't know that we're in a recession. We can start seeing data that suggests that we might be headed towards a recession, right? Like, so mm -hmm. how do you think about that? Because this goes back to last year, you know, in October of 2022, the stock market when the S&P was 3,700 or something was trading mm -hmm. like we were most definitely at least in a, you know, about to enter one, maybe in one, you know, that sort of thing. And again, we know the stock market is a discount mechanism or whatever well we never had the recession and here we are now you know well above those levels we're just below 4400 here off of the 4652 week high like does what guy just meant or mentioned about like does it matter if we're in a recession like how do you think about that um i don't want to belabor that table but if we can bring it back up again i'm just going to speak belabor. to a couple of things I, so i do think it matters in the sense of how we're going to chart it how we're going to look back on it how mm -hmm. we're going to talk about the timing and how we're going to learn from it and how we're going to talk about the business cycle but the last column on this table is really important too so yes we're in the purgatory right now where the market tends to hold up okay but that last column, last hike to market low, first of all, the takeaway here being there was only one time where there wasn't a subsequent market low. The market low actually occurred on the exact same day as the last hike. If July was the last one, that's not how this one is going to shake out. The rest of the times, that one 0.0% return is because the low happened about a week and a half later. So there wasn't mm -hmm. enough time for anything to really move. But look at the rest of those double digit drawdowns and some of them very, very dramatic. So typically there is a subsequent market low. The point that that people will bring up is that not all of these market lows were paired with recessions. And that is true. So if if we're looking at the timing of it, this is why I think it does matter whether or not we're in one. But it only matters when we are looking in the rearview mirror. It's not necessarily going to matter in the moment. But if we have one, you're going to see numbers more like the last few on that column, right? If we don't have one, you see numbers more like the first few on that column. Now, we already had about a 25% drawdown, and I know I talk about this a lot, but that's why it matters. If we actually are decidedly heading into a recession and we start to get indicators, I'd argue we already have them, but we start to get indicators that confirm that we're decidedly heading into a recession, we just haven't heard from the NBER yet that it counts, that's when the market starts to sell off even more and more ferociously than I think investors would be ready for, because that's what has not happened yet. So far, we've had the, the bear market, right, the cute bear market that wasn't necessarily recessionary bear market. If we get to that recessionary level and people are pretty sure it's happening, that's when you get recessionary pullbacks. Let's just take a look at your note real quick, because just the titles alone uh oh, yeah look at it. done and dusted was that like a movie or i should know this i'm sure i think it's just a phrase i maybe oh. it was a movie i, I think it's know. just okay. a phrase done so and dusted. basically you're done and i've dusted you off i've moved is that what we're saying here i don't know it's maybe one of our maybe one of our viewers can tell us where that came okay. from but done and dusted this isn't me declaring that the fed is done but the market Ooh. has declared that the fed is done right we have no longer priced in any more hikes we pulled forward the first cut one month so the market has decided that hikes are over and the rally that has started it, i mean really started in with a feverish tone after that last fed meeting because they paused again so now people are thinking all right that's enough pauses in a row they're probably not going to go again and then you've got weak labor data there's just the relief after having a three-month pull pullback so i think there are a few things that were leaning in the market's favor also not to mention 
that period between last hike and first cut where we tend to kind of hold up pretty well. I would almost compare it to, which we're going to, we're going to talk about this a lot next year, more so than any of us want to markets loving gridlock politically where you've got half and half, right. And the market tends to go up when there's gridlock because there's nothing new that's disappointing. This is kind of that same scenario, not necessarily gridlock, but this in-between time of we don't know if we're hiking, we don't know if we're cutting, markets tend to like that kind of stuff. So this this idea of being done and dusted, okay, we talked about this last week, I'll say it again, it's the same idea as the inversion of the yield curve. It's not the inversion that gets you, it's the re-steepening. It's not the hikes that gets you, it's the cuts. So as we start to near the period where cuts are more on the horizon, that's where you have to start to get nervous. Now, that could be very far from now. The market currently thinks it's June of next year. I would wager that it's going to be pulled forward a few months more than that, maybe just a couple months, but I think it's going to come closer and closer. So as time continues to pass and as we pull those cuts forward, that window will close and I think nerves pick up. Which, by the way, you said a couple weeks ago that exact same thing, and it's proven to be extraordinarily prescient, like many of your comments are, that you thought that timeline would actually be pushed uh, a lot closer than the market realizes. So once again, good on you. Good on you, Liz. All right, before we let you go, um, I want to get your take on our main man, John Butters. Okay, so every Friday, um, every Friday... John Butters, he is yeah. a senior earnings insight analyst over there at FactSet. Um, he drops his blog, um, and we get a preview of it on the Thursday market call here. And I think this one is really interesting as we get to the tag ends of Q3 earnings here. Uh, Mr. Butters is talking about how analysts have lowered earnings estimates for S&P 500 uh, earnings companies for Q4 2023, Q1 2024, and Q to 2024 since October 30th. However, earnings growth for the first half of 2024 is still expected to be higher than earnings growth for the second half of 2023. For Q1 2024, nine of 11 sectors are exposed uh, or expected to report earnings growth of uh, for Q2 2024. 10 of 11 sectors are expected to report earnings growth. NVIDIA and the meta platforms are projected to do uh, to be two of the top three contributors to earnings growth for the index for both Q1 and Q2. Now, one of the other things that he had in this report, I thought was really interesting, Liz, is that while Q4 estimates have come down a lot, they haven't seen, and he's updated this a little bit, you know, we still have double-digit expected earnings growth for 2024. So talk to us a little bit about that. Near term, analysts have gotten a little more downbeat about Q4, okay, but they haven't gotten the commensurate level of downbeat for 2024. Yeah, I think it's more than a little more downbeat for Q4. That, that was a pretty big move uh, just out one quarter. And you're correct, 2024 have not come down yet. I do think they will come down. The other thing, and this is nuanced, I, I think I've mentioned this before. The other thing that I think is going to start happening is it's going to be less about the revenue line. It's going to be more about rewarding companies for cost cutting and being able to meet their numbers because they're being more responsible with spending. The cost cutting, however, we've seen cost cutting already occur. And a lot of these names that might meet expectations, cost cutting in the ad space and, and other types of spend that happen in tech, but cost cutting in a lot of companies that are cyclicals, and we know that cyclical companies have not been trading well, so it would suggest that they probably have to do more cost cutting. 
cost cutting in those types of companies is going to come in the form of things that are a lot more tangible, much like the labor market. So what the labor market is showing so far, including the data today, initial claims, continuing claims, is that hiring has slowed, but layoffs have not gone up. So if people have to do more cost cutting, if companies have to do more cost cutting to meet these expectations in order to not be punished by the market, because we now have seen the market punish uh, misses quite hard, in order to not be punished by the market, they're going to have to cut costs a lot more aggressively. And I don't think that that's going to be met with a very positive tone. Cut co Cutting costs is code for not Elizabeth's code, but we're going to cut jobs. So, I mean, yeah. that goes hand, hand in hand with what we've been talking about. And forgetting about stocks for a minute, if you just, the fact that they're still considered 2024, you know, at re earnings growth, it's a pipe dream. Yeah. If, you look, if you listen to what Caterpillar said in terms of, their dealer inventory and and some of the outcomes that they see next year. Maersk, we've talked about. I mean, the CEO, I'm paraphrasing, but was talking about potentially disastrous 2024 across a swath of industries. You talk about the double, triple ordering that will have ramifications yeah. in 20. I don't know how you're going to see the earnings growth necessary to keep valuations where yeah, they are. Yeah, well, the one thing I'll say, if you look at like a, a very cyclical sector, like semiconductors, they're trading pretty well. And yeah. some of the guidance that was given was pretty decent. So Global Foundries this week, we had Taiwan Semiconductor talking about stabilization a few weeks ago. We did have, you know, Texas Instrument in the industrial X auto space, not particularly um, great. There were a few, few bad ones, but I think people took away from Intel, from AMD, from Taiwan Semi, from Global Foundries. Um, Micron's making new 52-week highs today. So that's the one thing I, I i listen i want to be very very aware of the stuff that is trading particularly well guy you mentioned you know a bunch of industrials you mentioned transports um retail trades horribly uh you know healthcare trades horribly you know one name and, and i know that you know the cult followers here um are going to have an issue with this tesla the fundamentals are not good I downgrade mean, today i know but like it's down six percent on a downgrade from hsbc no i think people are finally realizing like this is not gonna get better you know what i mean anytime soon right now so to me you know i, I just bring it up there there's a lot of cross currents they remain um all right liz young ey from sofi we appreciate all the heavy lifting you did here today you guys know where to find her look at that so Fi.com slash blog. That's where her Thursday blog can be found. And also on the Twitter at Liz Young Strat. Strat. I just, I, I hear Strat. It's just badass. Know, like Liz Young Strat. It's badass. All right. Liz. By the way, the Bucks. Yeah. 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 It's just, it's Sixers Celtics. In, no, you in, know what? It's interesting. I'm, I'm happy that Craig Council, who's a Midwest uh, kid, as you've said, at least, listen, at least he stayed in the Midwest. Okay. He's got, I think, four no. kids. No. No, it's not good. Reject. No, because the Cubs of all the teams, you know, I mean, anybody else in the division, like, why not the White Sox? Go to the White yeah. Sox. Look at you. That's fine. That's, That's fine. Well, it's benign. Can. Well, I think he mm. grew up. I think a Cub job for him was like a dream yeah. job. Why not? So I, and the, why the not? Brewers fans are not happy. By the way, yeah. your old guy, uh, Bader, Josh Bader, I think mm -hmm. that's his name, who then mm -hmm. got traded by the Brewers. I think he's out west. I think he's in San Diego. Uh, he might be a Yankee. San Diego. San Diego. Gonna, let me just tell you something. It's way too early to be talking about no, baseball here. Um, Elizabeth, tell him. It's never too early to talk about right. baseball. Baseball is a year-round sport. Listen, yeah. we, we have we have a lot more to go through on the single stock things here. So, oh, guys, sorry. Um, hey, Liz Young, thank you so much for being I'll here. I'll see we'll myself see out. One day on the, <laughs> You'll see yourself out. On the, on like the tape podcast, Liz will be with us again. All right.
let's talk about some stuff here, guy. Um, let's talk about these semis for a second, okay? Because I think this is really, really important, okay? Mm -hmm. Micron breaking out to a new high. We saw the move that Intel had. We saw the move that AMD had. And good on you. You liked both of those, I believe. Um, uh, you know, SMH now is just powering. We were talking about that massive double top if you pulled it out still to there. a five year yes it's still there but it's coming back it's still in a bit of a downtrend here let's pull up the nasdaq chart we have that one we talked with carter yesterday you know that that downtrend that had been in place it broke out of mm -hmm. that okay microsoft got back to those prior highs you know you could have a little bit of a false breakout here uh, i'm just thinking can the semis drag up can the semis and microsoft drag up the entire NASDAQ. well that's what's going on i mean clearly my microsoft new all-time high I, apple reverse course off that yeah. shitty quarter traded north of 180 i mean so yeah you could definitely have that this could be a false breakout as well without question especially don't can i mean i'm not saying we're confusing anything but that move is exactly the same move as the tlt effectively or the inverse move yep. to the bond market so if you look at the low over you know in early oct mid october ish that coincides with yields at their zenith and this move higher coincides with yields going back down to four and a half percent so if yields get back on their horse and we can have that conversation i think this will this will turn as well and you know, that chart is something we pointed out for a while. I know for a fact, you know, we thought TLT a couple <laughs> of weeks ago could trade between 80 and a half and 89. I think it got up to 89 and a half, maybe today. Yesterday was the look, yeah, was look at the move. I mean, it's down two handles today. Yeah. So, that, I mean, that and that goes back to what Elizabeth was saying about bond volatility. So, I don't yeah. look, I don't think any of this is over at all. So, all right, we'll, let, we'll let's see. pull up the SPX really quickly because while, you know, the NASDAQ or the NASDAQ 100 broke out above that downtrend, the S&P has not gotten there. Mm -hmm. We were talking about it yesterday. We we're talking about basically That's Apple it. and Microsoft that 14.4% of the S&P 500. That's the highest that they've ever been. I think it's the highest concentration of any two stocks have ever. So that's the one that maybe you want to focus on a little bit. I did a trade in the QQQ to start out the week and I was focused on NVIDIA. Okay. And I was focused on Tesla. I got one of them right. I thought that both of them were kind of giving it up a little bit, but the NVIDIA is the one that obviously is dragging up the rest of the industry, uh, the semiconductor industry and a bunch of the AI stocks. And Tesla is just really, I think, you know, focused on just auto sales being really poor demand for evs and the price war going on there so that one i got wrong i'm a little early on the qqq trade but we'll continue to update that um i want to update another one guy this is disney yesterday Comes carter, out dis dis carter laid out a very bullish um take on the technicals there um my take was listen you know Six percent implied move in either direction. You can pick a direction in the weeklies and and, and basically buy a call or a put. It's going to be three percent, but you have two trading days to earn that. That's not a great way to trade for a directional into what could be a binary sort of thing. We looked at December expiration. Let's talk about. Uh, well, maybe we'll just run the clip of what we had to say oh, yesterday, okay. and then let's update. Let's update this trade idea today. Let's talk about the circumstance at hand. The long-term winner, bottom left, upper right, that has sold off sixty-seven percent. And that 67% sell-off leaves it down to the penny. I think you make the bet. So I want to look at December expiration, okay? And I want to basically play for a move back to that May gap that was after earnings. So today, when the stock was trading around 84, you could look at 
the December 85.95 call spread, paying about $2.70 for that, buying one of the December 85 calls at about $3.40, selling one of the December 95 calls at about $0.70. Um, you have profits up to $7.30 between $87.70 and $95 with a max gain of $7.30 above $95. Losses of up to $2.70. Okay, so think about that. Losses of up to $2.70. That's very similar in price, right, to that at-the-money weekly call, right? But I'm giving myself over a month and the event, okay? So I can lose up to that 270 between 85 and 87.70 with the max loss below 85. So I'm risking about 3% of the stock price with break even up about 4.5%. And I have a max gain of, of close to 9% in a month if the stock is up 13% between now and December expiration. All right, well, let, let's look at this thing here now. So the stock has rallied. It's just below $91 as we're talking about this. So this was a December $10 wide call spread, buying the 85, selling the 95. Mm -hmm. So with the stock here um, just below 91, that $10 wide that cost about $2.70 when the stock was 84 is now worth about 550. So it's about a double. double. So you have that in a day. And one of the things I think this is really important to talk about here. Okay. So I have until December expiration. If this stock continued to move higher on December 15th on expiration, this call spread can only be worth $10. I paid to sell. So I can only make 730. I think having this move right here, I think you take the money and run. You Check have change. a double here and you move on. But I want to go to the chart guy and I want to get your take on this. I want to get a take on what you think you heard from Disney here because this thing just broke that downtrend, yeah. okay, that's been in place from the February highs. You look at that 200-day moving average, that might be a little resistance. We were targeting 95, which was kind of that, you know, there's going to be some resistance there. So thoughts here, you had the trade, you got it right, you move on, okay? But let's get your All right, take A couple on this things. Thing. Yeah. So number one, yes, you can check change, say great trade in less than 24 hours, well done. You could also say, you know what? I'm going to take half of this off, yep. which means if I take 50% off, I'm in the rest for free. If you think about it that way, you could take two thirds. You can do any permutation of that. Understanding that your max gain is exactly that 10 bucks. Number one, what I've said last quarter incorrectly was it felt as if that might be the quarter we come back to. And for a period of time, it looked correct because the stock bounced, gave it all back. I said last night on fast money. However, Something has changed. If you look at this chart, you have a series of lower highs and lower lows until you get to early October, mm -hmm. where we traded down about 79 or so. We bounced. And this recent low was actually the same low. So you have this little bit of a double bottom. I said last night, there's a chance, you know, given this quarter, $98 is not a pipe dream. And if you look at some of the gaps that we made to the downside in the middle of this chart, it makes a little bit of sense. So again, do you have to go run out and buy Disney here? No, but if you're asking me to answer your question, yeah, you can take off half B and the rest of it for free. You could let it ride. You can do any yeah. number of things, but I still think um, there's going to be a lot of people potentially playing a little bit of catch up here in Disney thinking, you know what? The cost cutting now $7.5 billion. The free cash flow number was much better than the street was looking for. They talked about potentially reinstating a dividend, like all things you probably wanted to hear from Disney you heard yesterday on that call. Yeah, the other thing is about the trade management too. So again, you could take the profit, you can sell a portion, you let the profit, you can also roll up and out too, mm -hmm. right? So you could basically say, I'm going to take the profit here and I'm going to dedicate some of that to let's say buying the January 95 calls or something like that. It seems like it's kind of far out of the money, but again, you're taking a portion of the profit and if this stock really does get going and sometimes you have that kind of new year effect, dogs of the Dow sort of thing or whatever. So um, that's the way... Um, 
that I would probably trade this from here, but you got optionality, pun intended there, people. All right, Guy, let's talk about Eli Lilly because this is one that has been um, part of this mega trend, these GLP-1 weight loss drugs here. Obviously, Lilly has a couple drugs. Um, one was for prediabetes, um, mm -hmm. but the other one has just been approved for obesity, and this is the one that a lot of folks think is going to be a massive unlock. You start getting these supplies coming. You know, There's a lot of competition here. There's going to be competition from oral pills and yep. the like here, but again, and this has been between this and Novo Nordisk, which makes um, Wagovi, um, these stocks are more than a trillion dollars in market cap. Mm -hmm. And they both look like this. So it's interesting, guy, that today, so yesterday the FDA does this approval. Um, the stock's down 3.5%. So is this a bit of a sell the news? And do you want to keep a very, very close eye on that uptrend? That's well, we, yeah. Well, what we've said about Eli Lilly now for years is every pullback and you've had significant pullbacks in the stock i mean you can look at this chart and say wow we've had some 15 20 percent pullbacks seemingly out of nowhere yet we remain in this uptrend which is still intact even with today's move but i'll answer your question again yes you keep a tight leash on this i think if you're an if you're a long-term investor don't get spooked by these moves because i do think eli Lilly sits in a pole position we had an analyst on last night and my question to him was clearly you can't just sort of look at Eli Lilly through the lens of PEs and, and revenue. You have to say yeah. there is X total addressable market in these drugs out to 2027. What could they garner and then start doing the math on the back of that? And when you start doing that equation, what looks expensive through this lens is not as expensive. And I think it's just a matter of time. And it, not that it matters. I want to be clear, but psychologically it does. You know, if Eli Lilly spends a couple weeks above 600, they're going to split five for one and they're going to change up things a little bit. Now we'll get people excited as well. So I understand what's going on here. It's sort of a sell the news type of thing. You've seen it a hundred different times over the years. I think that's we're in the midst of now, but I don't think the story is broken at all. All right. Last thing before we get out of here, and I don't know why I'm kind of fixated on this. Let's pull up a one-year chart of General Motors comes out. GM. Yeah. It and, should just come out, period. Yeah. Because it's it's awful. I see what you did there. All right. No, so. it's interesting. Before we even, there's a school of thought that, you know, we saved the automakers back in the day. Yeah. Okay. I get it. I mean, yeah. America, automakers. We, it's they made money thing. on it. Just, you know, taxpayers. It's, fine. Did. it's, it's okay. all good. Yeah, yeah. But should they have? I mean, if you think about how shitty these things have been, yeah. I mean, if you and this what, is just going to go back to like riding your horse. No, 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 no. I mean, do? I think from the ashes of those companies, maybe better companies would have emerged. Yeah. I mean, you can always it's it's hard to do the counterfactual. I totally get it. But just through the lens of the stock market, these stocks have sucked. Yeah. They, I mean, Ford's the same price as it was 30 something years ago. Disaster. Let, anyway. Let's pull up the one year again, though. So one of the things that I thought was interesting, guy, the, the stocks were both Ford and GM were careening lower, making new 52 week lows uh, into the, you know, the strikes and they got resolved and, and they've appeared not to be as bad as like the worst case scenarios. Right. And you had that pop. But now GM is about to make a new 52 week low and let's pull it out to a five year so i wonder what is this saying about industrials what is it saying about broadening out to transports i mean when you look at this chart i mean there's, there's just there's no support you know and so obviously there's valuation support but if you tell me and let's go to ford for a second okay and look at it on the same basis if you want you know if you tell me that these stocks trade this way after the dislocation that they saw as it relates to demand and the like with the pandemic, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? The seesaw action there. 
and we haven't even had a recession. And I don't care if we're in a recession right now or we get one in the second half of next year. Sooner or later, this is going to be a disaster. And the last one, we'll just pull it up again. And you can do a five-year if you want on Tesla. Um, you know, Tesla, and there was an article, I think, on the street.com, which still does exist. I, I mm. didn't see it out there. It was talking about how, you know, one of the proclamations that Elon was making um, or has been making, let's make that a two-year chart, if you don't mind, is that, you know, Tesla cars don't depreciate. They hold up much better, okay, than a lot of U.S. cars. Well, they've been cutting prices. And without naming names, a friend of mine bought a Model Y for 67 grand. Mm. okay? This is about a year ago, or a year and change ago, okay? And that same car is $30,000 less. He mm. feel like, he felt like he literally got Top you ticket. know what. No, no, but what? On what planet is there a consumer product that you can go out a year and a half ago and pay a certain price for something substantial? Okay, like this is one of the biggest, other than a house or, a, you know what I mean? This, CD player. That could be down, you know, 40-some percent or something like that. You know what I mean? So will will this person ever, no. ever buy a product from this company well, ever again? I'm prob- well, I have no idea. Not knowing that person, uh, who he you or she is. You actually know him. Oh, well, I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to. I'm not going to dox him. Oh, look at what you did there. It's interest. I don't think it's coincidental. And if you put that GM chart up real quick, yeah, the bounce north of 30 coincided with interest rates, yeah, going down. The problem here is people have to. They don't just walk into their General Motors dealership on the corner and hand over 65,000. They finance these vehicles. Correct. And if you think about, we had a whole conversation about where are we in the labor cycle? Where is the consumer? I mean, if rates are higher, it just makes it that much more difficult to buy these cars. Don't think for a second that higher interest rates are not affecting all of these stocks. We don't talk about it, but it's you can look at it and see. Yeah. You can overlay yield a bond chart with some of these stocks. And it starts to really make a lot of sense. And Elon Musk mentioned it in his last call. He would shut up about it. And listen, you know, I mean, he's talking less about the fundamentals and more about the macro. And he seems a bit worried there. So he should be. Well, I know, but like, like I mean, but, but guy, but, but these are high, these are high end. I mean, I understand that they're trying to go down the food chain, right? They're yeah. trying to make cheaper cars. Yeah. I understand that. But at the end of the day, I mean, the margins are in the higher, ve- right? The, the higher price vehicles. So. Yeah. You want to give up well, margin cheaper? I mean, the margin I don't know. for you this, tell me. no, but the margin for these cars is, is going to be full self-driving. That's the promise of this thing. So, so yeah, if you think that, that people, <laughs> no, I look, I mean, but 12, 13 grand on this software that lets them have an autonomous vehicle. That's where they're going to make all their margin. Yeah. Okay. okay. All, right. I, I love. all right. Well, listen, I mean, I'll, what do you think is going to go on in these self-drive? Seriously. A lot of weird shit. A lot of weird shit. Yeah. Well, that'll be so, no problem. Should we and leave it'll be it nothing. That? No, but it's we had just the whole thing. Like, we had weird shit going on on autonomous, autonomous vehicles. vehicles. I mean, this I mean, new world you, that you can't. No, I mean, people, you know, you understand how every. I'm the person that used to, when I was 18, I used to say, what an asshole. I am that person. You now. are that asshole. The old it's man like raging against the machine. Cloud. It's like, really quickly, pull up the Tesla chart for a second of one year. And um, it's not good. No, that $200 level, when it goes back through there, watch out below. It's 2670, I think, was a recent low in GM, by the way. Listen, we had, um, 
we, we laughed, we cried. Here's something really important. We have we have a super fan, um, a guy named Jay Sloan, who's been listening to our stuff, watching our stuff for a very long time. He um, hit Amanda. Um, That's on, Amanda uh, Diaz, on AD. A, on a, an individual story. He's raising some money. He's doing a match. It's for child cancer. It's Pinky Swear. Um, the link is in the description to donate. Um, we're going to also donate Resourceful Media. Um, we appreciate Jay trying to do this, raise money for kids who are being really just you know adversely affected by a horrible horrible disease so we appreciate what you're doing there jay sloan so thank you and risk social media we will be giving to that jay's a good man i thank you for make bringing this to our attention earlier in the week um and obviously hopefully this helps get the word out we'll put it on our individual social media platform the the twitter go 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 do that if you guys are so inclined also you know guy and i we are on what do you call it the gram that you're on the instagram Instagram. yeah i know what the hell we're putting out content No, because i get these things like these like little heart thing with like a number next to it like i don't know i'm hitting buttons that i shouldn't talk to our team we'll try to figure it out all right so guy check out our stories that's mark zuckerberg we also have rich russell media page so check that out i am dan's Nathan, Dan is Nathan. Mm. All right, people, that's it. We're going to be back. Wait, wait tomorrow's th- Friday. So we're man, not going to be man. back tomorrow. Tomorrow's but Friday. we do have an on the tape podcast. This one's going to be hot, people. Okay, so we have Danny Moses, obviously, and we're going to talk about everything that happened this week. We have Halima Cross. Best. She is the best. She's from RBC She's Capital. the X. She the is the, in the oil patch. Okay, and we also, a conversation that you and I really enjoyed, and this is dropping on the weekend of Veterans Day, okay, is Art Dela Cruz. He is the CEO of of team Rubicon, which is an amazing organization founded by our friend, Jake Wood, mm-hmm. uh, former Marine sniper. Um, they train vets, they deploy them to disaster areas and we get to hear all about the mission of team Rubicon. So check that out on a very, very important weekend for the vets. My dad is a vet retired Lieutenant Colonel in the army. So we thank all of them for their service and we hope they're appreciated every day, but specifically on veterans. Day. The 11th hour of the 11th day yeah. of the 11th month, in case you forget, it's an easy one should yeah. be an easy one to remember of course it's this saturday but yep. a lot of people will be not celebrating i think art but... Delacruz is going to be on fast money tomorrow oh also. really yes yeah, so That's... he was on our danny our moses pod. is going to be on fast money tonight Check it out if people. you've never seen fast money before this is the night this is the get night. get all up in there all right thanks for thanks for being here everybody. later yeah. peeps see ya. bye